Hi, I'm Paul Post, and I'm here with Stephen Walt to talk about realism. Um, and the reason why we're having this conversation is because a few weeks ago, completely by coincidence, he and I had two pieces come out, my piece coming out in foreign affairs, Steve's piece coming out in foreign policy, and both pieces dealing with realism and offering a defense, in some cases a qualified defense, but a defense of realism in light of a lot of criticism that realism has been receiving due to the war in Ukraine. And a lot of that criticism being due to my colleague and Steve's many time co-author, John Mearsheimer. And so Steve, again, total coincidence, but our, our piece has brought up some common themes. And so what was kind of one of the first key themes that you thought our respective pieces brought up? Well, I think we were both defending realism as a way of thinking about uh, world politics, one that has a lot of power, a lot of utility, is not perfect, uh, but does tell you a lot about why the world is as bleak, uh, you know, uh, competitive, uh, sometimes depressing as it is. Uh, the central theme of my piece was to try and explain why this view is so unpopular. Uh, and I argued it was partly because that is a gloomy perspective. People don't like to, to hear that there's nothing that can be done or that there are limits to what can be done. Uh, there's also a tendency to see uh, realism as amoral or immoral, you know, that it justifies uh, wicked behavior, which I don't think is really true. Um, and then I emphasized a lot that it runs really counter to how Americans like to think about the world, where they like to divide the world into good and bad states uh, and assume, of course, the United States and its fellow democracies are uniquely virtuous and all the trouble in the world is caused by evil, wicked leaders, uh, mostly autocrats as well. Uh, so for all those reasons, real, realism is not very popular, uh, even though most people will concede it has at least some explanatory value. Over to you. What was your big point? Yeah, I mean, for me, I wouldn't so much say that realism is unpopular, but I would say that realism, hence the motivation for both of our pieces, realism does receive a lot of criticism, um, both in the policy space as well as um, academics and, of course, individuals who go between those two areas. And for me, I, I agree with a lot of the points that you raise. But for me, and I think one thing that comes out of my piece is because in my piece, I try to draw out a lot of the history of this bent of thought about, you know, that one could call realism, even though it didn't always go by the word realism. And it's so longstanding and has gained so much prominence that for me, I think it's a target of criticism, mostly for lack of a better word, maybe jealousy <laughs> that has always been, you know, you could say it's the North Star of IR theory, or as some people have said that basically all the rest of IR theory is kind of based off of realism, even if it's the foil. So I think that's another thing that kind of leads it to be a target. Um, now, another key thing that both our pieces get into is the difference between realism as a theory and realism as a policy idea, as a policy approach, as a means of uh, prescribing policies. And, you know, you have a particular take on it, in particular that that's, in many ways, you could say that that's what drives a lot of what you say is the source of realism being unpopular. So can you speak a little bit about that? 
Well, I think this is one of the places where our two pieces are at some odds, um, because you draw a pretty sharp distinction between realism as explanatory theory and then realism as a guide for policy. And I see the two as almost inextricably tied, that theory informs policymaking in lots of ways, whether policymakers know it or, or not. Um, you know, all theories are sort of crude and imperfect, but you got to start somewhere. And that for realists, they see the, uh, the lack of a central authority, the tendency for conflict, the difficulty of achieving cooperation, not the impossibility, but the difficulty uh, of achieving it as things that you simply cannot lose sight of when you're trying to then craft uh, policy responses. And uh, I also argued that if you look at the last 20, 30 years, you know, the prescriptions offered up by card-carrying realists have, uh, I think, been uh, borne out pretty well. Again, not perfectly, because all of these theories are a little bit crude, but that realists have a better track record, uh, you know, whether it's the Iraq War, or NATO enlargement, and any number of other American adventures around the world. Um, uh, so in that sense, uh, you know, I think uh, we, we may be unpopular uh, because we have this annoying tendency to be right, uh, not all the time, but more often than our critics. And kind of reinforcing this jealousy idea, if you will. And I thought that you did. Yeah. And I thought that you did a nice job at the end there of kind of pointing out, look, these are all areas where realists were very prominent in terms of uh, making predictions, calling for gloomy potential outcomes. I think for me, the core of my distinction between theory and policy is agreeing with all of the core pillars of it that you laid out. But for me is to say that ultimately when the policy prescription comes in, that's where there's a little bit more room for agency. And so I use like the Waltz example of saying, well, he predicts that the world should get rid of nukes or should have more nukes. But of course, that's kind of making one final step in the realist um, view. But that is what's so interesting about realism. And hopefully we can have more conversations about this at another time. Indeed.